All right, let's pray one more time before we get into God's Word together. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to, again, worship you and offer up our, our praises to you uh, based on your precious Word. And uh, we pray, God, that everyone um, is encouraged today uh, through our worship so far and uh, leading up to this time of feeding from your Word. God, we want to grow. We want to continue to have truth uh, proclaimed, and we want to have our eyes fixed on you in the heavenly places where Christ is seated. So we pray, God, that uh, this time would truly be edifying, encouraging for everyone who hears, and you would be praised for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue in our Genesis 1 through 11, God's Story of Beginnings series, which we started a few months ago. I'll ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 2, and this is, once again, the creation rewind, right? We started that last week, starting in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 2, and so this is the flashback to the events of chapter 1, which is the creation, the glorious creation of the Almighty God of the universe, days 1 through 6, happened in chapter 1. Chapter 2 starts off with day 7 and all that we learned about that day of rest and all that that means. I commend you to the sermons online if you haven't gotten to listen to those. But today, we are going back into Genesis chapter 2, going into the details primarily of day 6 of creation, which we went through pretty specifically in chapter 1 a while ago. So the sermon theme for today is the same as last week, and it's, I believe, in your bulletin. In your bulletin, there's some notes there and uh, a bit of an outline, but the sermon theme is that God has prepared human beings with all the spiritual and physical resources needed in order to glorify and enjoy Him. And this is what He made us. He did not leave us uh, lacking anything. He gave us everything we needed to glorify and enjoy him, which is the purpose for which people were made and the whole universe was made. And so, last week we covered that mankind was made with the capacity to serve and worship God, and also that mankind was given the responsibility to obey God. And it's not just obedience just for obedience sake, but obedience in order to enjoy life and to bring glory to God with the life that he's given us. And so we covered those two points last week, and the third and final point is today, which is mankind was blessed with complementary help. Mankind was blessed with complementary help. Complementary with an E, right, instead of an I. Complementary help to serve, worship, and obey God together. So we're going to cover this in verses 18 through 25 today. And this is the, the creation of Eve, the very first woman and also the creation of marriage. So we're actually going to spend uh, two Sundays on uh, this last part um, of chapter 2. So today is like part 2 of creation rewind, but part 2, part 1 of marriage, okay? So sorry, it gets a little confusing, but in any case, um, this is very, very important, incredibly foundational uh, part of the reason why I started this whole series in the first place, uh, we need God's word. We need God's truth. Um, even if we already know it, we need to entrench ourselves in it. We need to be convinced even more of it. We need to be convicted by it. And ultimately, we don't want to just keep it to ourselves. Okay? We're not meant to be dead seas, but we're meant to be flowing like living water out to others who maybe don't know the word or don't know Christ or don't know the gospel and so this is our purpose uh, through all of these messages. Okay, so mankind was blessed with complementary help to serve, worship, and obey God together. And I want you to keep that just point in your mind as I read the text now. We're going to read uh, chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. And uh, if you are able to stand with me as we honor God's word, that would be appreciated. If you can't, that's fine. But Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18, this is the word of God. Then the Lord God said, 
It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not were both naked and were not ashamed. Please be seated. So we have two main kind of sub points uh, to today's passage, and um, we're going to cover both of them today. And very basic, uh, the first one is man's incompleteness. Uh, it, this part is not written in your uh, bulletin there, so you can just jot it down if you want. But man's incompleteness is verses 18 through 20. And then the rest of the passage, verses 21 to 25, is humankind's completeness. A man's incompleteness, which uh, is not good, according to God. And then humankind's completeness, which is very good, according to God, right? Verses 21 to 25. So we'll get to the very good, but first, the, the not so good, man's incompleteness. Verse 18, then the Lord God, notice who's speaking again here, as in all of chapter 2, Yahweh Elohim, right? Uh, maybe as I was reading the passage, you noticed it kept saying, the Lord, all caps, God, the Lord God, the Lord God. This is, once again, the almighty yet intensely personal God of creation. He's speaking, and after chapter 1, all those repeated, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good after all the days. Now, he speaks. Yahweh Elohim speaks, and for the first time, he says something is not good. And that is, it is not good for the man to be alone. And he doesn't mean in the sense of wicked or evil. Okay, not good as in that, that sense. Sin has not entered the world yet. But it's not good in a couple ways. Okay, first is this. It's not good because man is made to be social, to have relationship with others. We are social, relational beings. And um, primarily and first, relationship with who? With God. With God. But also then, with other people. We are social creatures made for relationship. And interestingly, what does Jesus say is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? Man was not made to be independent. That's why it was such a a difficult time with uh, just the COVID and lockdowns for last, um, starting in 2020, right? Thank God we're at where we are now. Man was not made to be independent, but rather interdependent, interdependent. A companionship, fellowship, friendship is needed. And I know many people still are suffering from the effects of things that have happened. So that's one reason why it was not good. The second reason is um, because man is to fulfill the creation mandate, the creation blessing, as we saw in Genesis 1.28, Right? Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Okay? This is procreation, procreation of the human race. Um, propagation, making children, reproducing cannot happen, of course, with man alone. Can't be done with just one person. Uh, nor can subduing of the earth be done by man alone. Cooperation with others is needed. Co-laboring, you might call it. So the man by himself was incomplete 
And God says, not good, not good. But of course, he has the remedy for this, right? He says, I will make him a helper suitable for him. As only the all-wise, all-loving God can, he's going to make a, a helper suitable for the man. So that word helper is ezer in uh, Hebrew. Ezer means aid, it means support, assistance. Okay? One who assists and serves another with what is needed. By the way, being a helper is not implying a lesser role or lesser status. Okay? In fact, this word, ezer, help, is used in some form to describe God uh, quite frequently in the Old Testament. For example, you can just jot these down, okay? Deuteronomy 33, verse 7. Psalm 33, verse 20. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift my eyes up, right? And I, I, look, I, I see the mountains. And where does my help come from is the psalmist's question. Help, azer, that's the word. Um, this is uh, all God's being a help to humans. Exodus 18, verse 4. Eliezer, this is a word to describe God. It means God is my helper, Eliezer. In 1 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13, this is the last one I'll give you, okay? Um, 1 Samuel 7, 12 to 13 uh, is Ebenezer, Ebenezer, which means stone of help, right? Uh, sometimes we only relate that name to uh, Scrooge, right, Ebenezer. But um, the beloved hymn, Come Thou Fount, Right? Come thou fount. Uh, verse 2 says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here by thy great help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Right? So Ebenezer, next time we sing that song, you'll know what it means. It means stone of help, rock of help. Talking about God. Okay, so um, not just a helper, but a suitable helper. Konegdo. Okay, this means corresponding to. It means someone who's fit particularly fit for the man here, okay, proper for him. The New King James says comparable to him. So this is a, a perfect fit, okay, like a glove, okay, a match made to measure, a match made in heaven, actually a match made in Eden, okay, which at that time was a paradise. This is exactly what the man needed, this corresponding match who complemented him, who completed him, and with whom he could carry out the purposes of God to serve, worship, and obey the Creator. Okay, this is why God created the woman, okay, as a helpmeet to the man, to provide companionship, to complement him, to enable him to produce children. Notice already the, the functional distinctions between the man and the woman here, even from the very, very beginning. Hey, what does he say again? God says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Hey, Eve was made for Adam. He was incomplete, was lacking in the ways that I mentioned. So God makes the woman for him. So as we're going to see, she was made from him and she was made for him. For him. That's just the way God did it. Hey, once again, the woman being the helper does not mean she's inferior to the man or of less worth, or of less value. But the truth, once again, is that she was made to be the man's helper, and it wasn't the other way around, okay, as offensive to our 21st century sensibilities as that might be. Okay, listen, Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 8 and 9, listen, for man does not originate, a man was not made from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Okay, this is in the context of Paul giving instruction to the Corinthian church that women should wear head coverings in their context in worship and prayer um, as that's symbolic of her attitude of, attitude of um, submissiveness. Okay, and uh, he says to Timothy, as part of explaining why men are to do the teaching and the leading in the church, he says in 1 Timothy 2.13, For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. Okay, so already from the very, very beginning, certain things, foundational things are being set in place in God's wisdom, God's love, God's care, God's design. He knows how things work in the entire universe. He's smarter than we are. 
He knows how we're wired, how men and women are made, and what roles they will fulfill in order to flourish, their souls to flourish and enjoy life and enjoy God and worship God in obedience. So let's be reminded this morning that God's design for men and women, husbands and wives, was and is perfect. It's perfect. It's our sin, okay, the fall of Genesis chapter 3, which we're going to get to next month, okay, that, that sullies the very good design. God says it's very good. And so it's our sin, our wrong thinking, that doesn't line up with God's word, that, that makes things bad. Okay? So to quote the biblical doctrine book, it says, The roles that men and women have in society, the family, and the church are grounded in the differences between men and women that God instituted at creation, end quote. Going on to verses 19 and 20, it says there, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Now, those of you who know Genesis chapter 1, something sounds a little bit potentially off here, right? Because it sounds like, well, the man was created already, and now God is making all these other animals. But Genesis chapter 1 says clearly in days 5 and the early part of day 6, God made all the animals. And then at the end of day 6, God made man, right? So what's the explanation? Well, once again, first of all, chapter 2 is the, the specifics, the details of the broad outline of chapter 1. So we've got to keep that in mind. And the other thing is, once again, I don't want to kill you with the, the Hebrew stuff, but there's such thing as verb tenses. And so that verse in verse 19 says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. It can fairly be translated, had formed. And when we put the, that helping verb there, it, it sort of gives us a different idea, right? Like God actually already formed these, these, these creatures, these animals, and now he's bringing them to the man so that he would name them. Okay? So it's not a different order. Genesis 1 does not contradict Genesis chapter 2. Um, it just needs to be understood with that, um, that, that, that grammar in mind. So um, the focus here is on the man and the naming of the animals. Okay? It's not on the creation of the animals. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Genesis 1 provides the outline. Genesis 2 gives the details. So when we put them together, it gives us this harmonious and more complete picture of the creation events. So that being the case, just a few other things that I want us to see in these verses before we get to our second point. A few other things. In chapter uh, 2, verse 20, you might have noticed, I paused when I said Adam when I read the scripture, right? Uh, This is the first time in Genesis where a creature is given a proper name. So with the definite article, Adam, Adam means the man. Okay, but here in verse 20, guess what? There's no definite article there in the Hebrew. There's no the. And so it's translated Adam for the first time. Okay, this was the first man's name. So a man with a name reflects his individual personality. And it also makes him special among living creatures, okay, distinct from, once again, the animals. Okay, this living creature has a personal name. So that's the first thing. Uh, two other things. Authority. Okay, Adam naming the animals indicates his authority over them that God gave him. As most of us are aware, the Hebrew custom, in the Hebrew custom, the one who gives names is the one who possesses authority. So again, the man is not merely one of the animals. He certainly did not evolve from them and then start naming them. Okay, rather, he has this God-given role and assignment to name them and rule over them, subdue them as God commanded and the last thing, the last thing about um, this, this verse, okay, this task of naming the animals made it evident to Adam okay, and to us, the readers, that amongst all the animals that he sees and names that were being paraded in front of him, okay, none were like him. Okay, Adam realizes he's alone. He's alone. They don't look like him. They don't sound like him. They don't act like him. There were none corresponding to him. He sees the animals with others of their own kind. They have mates. He has none. He's by himself. After a while, they didn't keep coming before him, and then he just looks at a chimp and says, all right, that one's mine. 
right? He doesn't, he doesn't do that. Again, the man is alone. He sees that he's alone. And in God's words, this is not good. But it does become good, very good, in fact. And that's our second point today, verses 21 to 25, which is humankind's completeness. Humankind's completeness. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And God takes action to make this not good situation to be good, very good, in fact. Again, Yahweh Elohim, personal, up-close intimacy. He causes that deep sleep to fall upon the man. You might call this the, the very first anesthesia. There's no indication whatsoever about God needing any plants or drugs or medications to knock Adam out. Okay? He just has Adam go into a deep, deep slumber. And he performs this major operation. He takes one of his ribs and closes up the flesh at that place. He used one of Adam's ribs and finished that surgery, if you will, by closing up the flesh from where he took the rib. And it's quite fascinating to see that the woman's origin is traced to the man and not to the ground, right? Did you notice that? She's the first among the created beings to come from a, another living being. She, along with Adam, again, is, is different from the animals. They're different. The Bible tells us she came from the man, not evolved from animals. The second thing, very fascinating, that... God took the rib out of the man. He used it to fashion the woman. Um, Adam was not short of a rib, okay, nor were any of his sons or descendants uh, after him. Incredibly, some of you medical people might know this, but ribs actually regrow. Okay, the rib bone is unique amongst all other bones in the human body in that it can regenerate. Portions of rib bone and cartilage that are removed in like those bone graft surgeries um, they will regrow in a few months' time, as long as that part of the rib, the rib perichondrium, which is the membrane surrounding the rib, as long as it's left in place, the, the rib is going, to, is going to regrow, even over the span of a few months. This is pretty amazing. So Adam was not permanently wounded here. It seems he didn't have to spend the rest of his 930 years short one rib or with an incomplete skeletal system. Um, that was temporary. So our text goes on to tell us what happened next in this God's story of beginnings. Verse 22. The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, he fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Okay, God's personal, loving, caring, supernatural way that he chose to create the first woman as a helpmeet for the man. And it doesn't give us, like, the specifics. It doesn't tell us precisely how God did this, but simply that he took that rib and he fashioned it, yatsar. He fashioned it to form it, and it's not just a, a random, just unthinking way. It's to plan or design. Okay, no evolution. It's used for an artist's work in Jeremiah 18. It refers to a potter there. Okay, this is God's purposeful, masterful, majestic handiwork. And to quote Matthew Henry, uh, some of you may have heard this quote regarding the woman, uh, she was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved, end quote. I like that. After he does that, God brought her to the man Okay, another personal touch here. God, the loving creator, presents her to Adam, the man. This is Yahweh's precious gift and blessing and provision for him. And what is Adam's classic response? Right? Verse 23. The man speaks. This is, uh, by the way, the very first recorded words of, of man in the Bible. And it's a poetic exclamation of this incredible blessing that God has given to him. Right? This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken 
out of man. Okay, apparently, the first man uh, was not a buffoon, right? Like, he, he could talk, he could articulate, he could observe, he could reason, he could feel sorrow and joy, he could communicate well and put words together well in a beautiful way. This is now bone of my bones, he says, actually. As in, finally, at long last, after all these animals I've, I've seen all day long, after all these creatures I've seen and named, now, now there's one like me, of me, same, but different. She's the same as me, but different and wonderfully so. She's different, but she's also the same. And isn't that the way with us? Ladies, gentlemen, husbands, wives, okay, we're both uniquely made by God, fearfully and fearfully and wonderfully, purposefully, personally, we're made in his image, male and female, and so distinct from all the animals, and yet at the same time, we are so different from each other, men and women, husbands, wives. Besides the obvious differences of our physical attributes. There's the way we talk, how much we talk, how we relate to each other, how we relate to others in general, our different temperaments, mindsets, manners, our thinking, our outlooks, etc. I think we can acknowledge that and thank God for the differences he made. We are made to complement one another. It's good to complement one another also, but this is complementary, right? And to quote the erudite, esteemed 20th century theologian from Philadelphia, PA, Rocky Balboa, as he explains to his brother-in-law about his relationship with Adrian, he tells him it's, a, it's about gaps. And then the brother-in-law says, well, what's gaps? And he says, she's got gaps and I've got gaps. Together, we fill gaps, you know? And so it sounds funny, right? But actually, when you think about it, it's, it's a bit profound. Um, it describes what complementary is. And so verse 23, Adam goes on, She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Okay, Adam is the one who says what this wonderful female counterpart is to be called. Okay? He's calling her woman indicating again the God-given role of leadership that he has as the husband in this relationship. What is a woman? An adult female human being. And in Hebrew, it's isha. A man is ish, and Hebrew, isha. So isha means woman, wife, female, a bride, a one who is a female human being, and a female is simply a female person, right? A woman or girl. An individual of the sex that is typically capable of bearing young or producing eggs. Ish, once again, is man. Individual, male, husband. One distinguished by maleness. Ish does not indicate mankind. Okay? The word Adam can mean the man or can mean humankind or mankind. But Ish actually means man the male gender in particular. Again, there's only two genders. We have to say this in today's topsy-turvy world, right? Only two genders, two sexes, male and female. Genesis 127, God created them, male and female. That's the way he made us. There's never been any such notion or concept in all of human history as gender assigned at birth okay, until the last decade or so. Uh, gender is not assigned at birth by doctors or parents or family members or friends or activists or anyone. A God decides at conception the gender of every person. When a sperm carrying an X chromosome fertilizes the ovum, a girl is produced. A Y chromosome brings a boy. Anyone and everyone can tell right away upon a baby's delivery whether it's a boy or a girl. Okay, no one has to assign anything. No one has to wait to see if a girl is going to become a boy or vice versa. Gender and sex of the child is defined permanently at conception 
and revealed at birth. And this is just God's loving truth to those of us who are tempted to be confused. And so we did a sermon a, a while back just to, uh, in ministry of people and compassion and care and love and the gospel, giving people hope. But we need to stand firm on what the truth is and even reason and logic. So in Adam's joyfully poetic outburst here, he includes facts. And he says, because she was taken out of man. And this affirms and reveals that the creation details we see here in chapter 2 are literal and specific. Both Adam and Eve are literal, historic people. And this is exactly how they were created, male and female. Right? There's this whole question now, even within the evangelical church, well, do we really need to believe that Adam was a historical person and the Garden even was an actual, literal place? Uh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. If we don't believe Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, why should we believe 4, 5, and 6, and 7 through 11, and 12 through 50, and Exodus through Malachi, and Matthew, and the Gospel, and Revelation, Believe Jesus. Why should we believe Jesus, who's the living word? And so, verse 24 says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. For this reason. Well, for, for what reason? Well, per Jesus, in Matthew 19, verse 5, and Mark 10, verses 6 through 8, it's because from the beginning, God made them male and female. And in context of Genesis 2, along with what Jesus said, affirming Genesis 2 and 1, it's because God made the woman from the man, corresponding to man, that God says a man shall leave his parents and be joined to his wife in a one-flesh marriage relationship. Okay, from not good, man to be alone, to very good at the end of day six. This is what we're looking at. This is simply the way God designed it all. Okay? He made up the institution and definition of marriage, which is one man, one woman for life. That is God's design and purpose for the human race, for his glory. And this does bear repeating. Okay, as just um, We actually did a few marriage sermons from Mark chapter 10 a little over a year ago. It was May 2022 because we were in Mark 10 at the time. Um, does this mean that every man must have a wife, a helpmate, to, in order to complete him? You no. Know? Does it mean that every single woman must be a wife and is incomplete without a husband? Answer again, no. Okay, that is not necessarily God's calling on every single person or even on every single Christian person. I always go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, right? We should go there uh, when we think about this where the Apostle Paul says that singleness is a good thing for some, okay, a gift even. They're privileged with a life of undistracted, undivided attention and service to God. But again, this foundational passage here in Genesis chapter 2 and what Jesus says in, in the Gospels, it sets the standard for most people in most contexts. Okay, marriage would be the norm, okay, more the rule rather than the exception broadly and generally speaking. Well, I always feel like I need to make sure I say that um, when, we, when we talk about this. But verse 24, marriage. We're going to say more next time um, on marriage, but for now, let's just look at some basics of what this sacred God-given blessing looks like, okay, which Peter calls the grace of life in 1 Peter 3. There's three very basic things that we're going to Look at here in verse 24, which is leaving, cleaving, and weaving. Okay, leaving, a man shall leave his father and his mother. And this word actually can mean to abandon or forsake, okay, but it depends on the context. Context, context, context. Here, it does not mean forsake or abandon. It does not mean cutting off your parents. But it does emphasize the priority of the new union that's formed in marriage. Okay? And really, it does indicate 
geographical separation. And some cultures have the newlyweds move in with the in-laws uh, into their home, right? Um, but that's fraught with many, many problems and issues of relationship, of authority, of establishing life and convictions, just relational dynamics, many other things, all of which God obviously knew about. His wisdom says that the new couple should leave parents. And again, not forsake them, but it's no longer the same relationship, no longer dependent upon them, no longer even the highest priority. we We do want to remember that the Bible tells even Christian adults, even married adults, we are to honor our father and mother, Ephesians 6.2. Okay, this is a command for all Christians, young and old. But to leave your parents when you get married means that your relationship to them must be changed. You're to establish an adult relationship with them. Okay, so it's not one of um, when there are little children in your house or even growing children. command is children obey your parents, right? But to honor them is lifelong. Obedience to parents is in the childhood stage. So establishing an adult relationship with, with um, the children and honoring relationship is what's called for, right? And actually, as even our kids are getting older, we want to shepherd them and disciple them into becoming independent, becoming adults, and transition into having more of an adult relationship with them rather than parent and child. And so, um, even though we're always going to be their parents, right? I, I, I knew one lady who, whose uh, son, he was in his mid, uh, late 20s, and um, he was leaving the house, um, and, and she told him to put on a jacket because it's going to be cold outside. He said, Mom, I'm, I'm in my mid, late 20s, and, and you're still telling me to put on my, my jacket. And she said, this is a Korean mom, by the way, but she said, son, even when you're, you're 60, I'm going to be telling you to put on your jacket when you leave the house. So anyway, um, honoring relationship, new relationship, that's what's called for. Cleaving, cleaving, to be joined to his wife. Uh, this is, um, cleaving is a word that comes from that phrase, joined to his wife. Husbands and wives are to cleave to one another. Part of what that means is that marriage between a man and a woman is supposed to be this covenant commitment. And that's what marriage is, actually, a covenant commitment. It's not a matter of convenience or just staying in love or just trying to compromise or get along. It's not, yes, okay, I'll keep that vow, I'll keep that promise, unless our problems just become too great or too difficult to resolve. No, to cleave and to be joined together by God is to make a vow to be faithful to each other till death do you part. This is a, a choice covenant, a lifetime commitment, an oath of loyal love before God and before each other. And God's way and God's design calls for a total, irrevocable commitment of two people to each other. So it means, it means that a, a faithful husband and wife um, knows that they're, they're going to have problems. And even some major problems and major difficulties. Maybe some they don't even envision because of some tragic event okay, or just some issue that they, they never dreamed that they would have to deal with um, in, their, in their life together. And so having this, this uh, cleaving, joining uh, together, is like being glued together no matter what, no matter what comes up, come what may. By God's grace, God's help, God's strength, and our dependence on God and on Jesus Christ, hey, we're going to keep it together. It's, it's seeing, seeing even the worst of your spouse, hey, the very, very, very worst, seeing that with your own eyes and experiencing it and saying, I'm staying anyway. Hey, that's what it is to, to cleave. That's what it is to be married in a faithful union under God. And so this is um, actually in, in the verse here, verse 24, the, the very first use of the word wife in Genesis, in the Bible. 
which indicates the first social institution that God established, which is marriage, that union of holy matrimony. So this cleaving also means that your marriage relationship becomes your priority human relationship. It becomes your second most important relationship out of all of them. Second most important. And your first most important relationship is with you and Jesus. Right? And then, and then comes our spouse. And so the last thing here is weaving. Weaving, it says, and they shall become one flesh. In the genius of God's math, uh, there's advanced math and there's, you know, just, um, just higher math and, and all that stuff. This is God's math. Okay, one plus one equals what? One. That's right. Becoming one flesh at its most basic level uh, refers to physical union, okay, sexual relations between a husband and wife. And within the bounds of a marriage relationship, one man, one woman, physical intimacy, according to the Bible, is good and holy and beautiful. Hey, this is God's instruction to us. Hebrews 13, verse 4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, among all Christians, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Hebrews 13, 4. God blessed mankind with the gift of sex, and it's a, a precious, precious gift. And in fact, it's a, it's a wedding gift, okay? not to be opened until marriage. But beyond that physical aspect of becoming one flesh, this weaving involves even more. Okay? It's the total giving of yourself to the other person. Wayne Mack put it, puts it this way, Quote, marriage is a total commitment and a total sharing of the total person with another person until death. End quote. Husbands and wives are no longer two, but one flesh. And Jesus said, what God has joined together, what God has put together, let no man divide. Right? Everything in life is shared in a growing level of intimacy and unity. Not only their bodies, but their possessions their ideas, their finances, their insights, their abilities, their problems, their successes, their failures, their trials. We go through it all together as one. In short, this weaving symbolizes complete oneness in all aspects of life. And um, I should say this, that this level of oneness, of intimacy and unity, it doesn't mean that you become the same person. Hey, even though some have said that as you grow older, you start looking like one another a little bit more. Uh, for some, that's a good thing. For others, not so good. But uh, it does not mean uniformity. Hey, but the husband and wife are, are like, like the same in every single way and every single thing. I already said we're, we're very different. My wifey and I are definitely not the same. Hey, but a husband with a, a suitable helper, hey, like my sweetie back there, uh, means that we complement each other. Complement, complement. We are fitting together. We're weaving together in harmony. And uh, it's not always harmony. It's not always just things are, you know, a bed of roses all the time. But, but the general tenor and, and pattern of our life is one of harmony. It's like in music, right? The song that we sang earlier, Philip and Phoebe's voices, they were not singing the same notes. But when they were sung together, it was a, it was a pleasing, pleasant sound harmonious chord. So uh, weaving together in a marriage union, it's um, this kind of oneness that um, all of your differences, whatever they are, okay, personality-wise, preference-wise, uh, habit-wise, your wiring, okay, um, it's not going to break the unity in marriage, which is supposed to be total unity. So this is the coming together of two bodies, two lives, two persons, sharing of themselves as one. And this is an intimacy that is unique to all other relationships. There's nothing that should be like a husband and wife, one man, one woman relationship. As close as we get as uh, Christian brothers and sisters even, and we should be close, as close as we are with our blood brothers and sisters, close as we are to our parents, 
a husband and wife, it's a unique oneness. Which leads us to our last verse here. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Um, There was no need for clothing in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were protected. They were provided for by God. And it's in all ways, physically and spiritually, which is the sermon theme from last week and this week. They were provided with everything needed to enjoy him, enjoy and glorify God, and to flourish in life. Animals were not a threat in the garden. The weather, the temperature was not a problem. There was no need for bug spray. There was no shame in being naked in each other's presence. Innocence from any sinful thoughts or lusts or bodily embarrassment, those did not exist because Genesis 3 hasn't happened yet, right? They did not sin yet. They were perfectly comfortable in front of one another before God. No need of any coverings to hide their bodies. And what was the first thing that Adam and Eve do after they disobeyed God? Right? They went and hid themselves. They covered them themselves with fig leaves. Society today, um, there's, there's a problem of, of shame uh, in the worst way. In the world of Instagram models and OnlyFans and TikTok apps, okay, um, clothing that aims to bear as much skin as possible, short of nudity, our standards of what's acceptable um, have become incredibly skewed, and this is partly because of the such easy access to pornography and perversity is so prevalent and easy. Hey, for many, after so much exposure to, to porn, a half-naked person on Instagram seems like no big deal, right? And uh, we were so looking forward to uh, seeing the, the new Christopher Nolan movie. We're Christopher Nolan fans. Um, Oppenheimer, it's called. And um, just looking forward to seeing it uh, while we're on vacation. And... Uh, Rated R, why? Uh, Because of nudity and sex scenes, uh, which was highly disappointing. Um, And so told the the kids and our youth, not going to see it, sorry. And um, just, uh, you know, there's no question about it. And so uh, someone has observed since the 1970s, it seems that serious, quote-unquote, motion pictures must have at least token nudity. And so this is uh, part of what makes it... um, you know, high art or whatever, artistic expression. Um, But we need to compare that with the Bible and not with other things that um, we've seen or what other people deem to be acceptable. And so just take note of that, everyone. Well, we are thankful uh, to be able to continue this topic of marriage next time. Uh, As I said uh, during announcements, Pastor Bill is going to be preaching next Sunday on a different topic, and it's going to be wonderful from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, But uh, the following Sunday when I'm back, we're going to do part two of this marriage and just talk a little bit more about this incredibly important foundational thing so we can um, be further further, uh, in the know uh, about what God's Word says about marriage and the purpose and blueprint for marriage. But um, for today... Listen, God is worthy of our praise because he's prepared humankind with every single thing needed, both physical and spiritual, every resource. We see it very clear, clear as day in Genesis, um, that they needed in order to glorify him, in order to serve him, worship him, obey him, and to live for him. A life is not about us. The world is trying to convince us through every single media outlet and channel and TV and movie and, and, and message that life is about you and your fulfillment. But God tells us that our fulfillment is found in him alone through a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ alone. So the call is for, for you, if you're not saved this morning, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, a born-again Christian, They mean the same thing. They mean someone who is a disciple and follower of Christ, someone who has trusted in Jesus and his death on the cross for your sins, on his substitutionary atoning death. That means he was sacrificed. He gave himself up. He bore the penalty for your sins and your evil and your wrongs, and he took them for you so that you could escape judgment 
You could escape God's wrath. You could escape condemnation forever. But rather, through faith and trust in Jesus, believing that he is the only Savior, the only God who can forgive your sins, and that he rose from the grave. And everyone, it says in Romans 10, we sang Romans 9 um, earlier. And actually, if you were listening to the words, it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And God will choose whom he chooses. That's not up to us. But we are called to repent and believe and call on the name of Jesus Christ. And you will be forgiven. You will be saved. You will receive the gift of eternal life. So that's our message today, and the, the institution of marriage is supposed to reflect that message, the gospel. We'll talk more about it next time. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for giving us these truths once again this morning. You have so blessed us. You've given us so much and more, everything, in fact. We were made with the capacity to serve and worship you, We were given the responsibility to obey you so that we could enjoy this life that you've given us. We were even blessed with the help of a complimentary mate, the institution of marriage, the gift of one another so that we can serve, worship, and obey you together in this life. And we're so grateful, God, just whatever our our condition, whatever our status is, that because of Jesus and his death and his resurrection— We can live in light of your gospel and your glory in joyful obedience and worship of you. Help us, help us, God, to apply the things that we heard today and for for them to be fixed in our hearts and for for us to to live them out uh, because you are so worthy of that obedience. So thank you, God, for your word and most of all for the living word, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.